Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Towards Vivencia, the podcast. In this second season, Bridging the Gap. In this second season, we are bridging the gap between some of the top dance companies in the whole world and our community. Towards Vivencia will be collaborating with dancers who are or have been working with the greatest choreographers and companies of the 20th and 21st century. These incredible artists bring these incredible works and performances to life, and they have generously offered to share how they train in order to do so. Their personal approaches to the company's technical style, cross-training for both body and mind, and staying creatively inspired. All this and more will provide a unique insight into how these dancers work, how they work within these companies, and how they bridge the gap between their previous training and what is required to work with those companies. Hello everyone, I'm really happy to have with us today Rob Hayden. He has been a former, he's a former dancer of Ultima Bet, among many other things that we are going to be talking about it today. And I remember that we met many, many years ago, a couple of lives ago, back in Belgium. And I remember seeing him performing Blush, if I'm not incorrect, a couple of times in the theater. So I'm really happy to have him back today. And so thank you very much, Rob, for being with us today. And thank you very much for teaching with us next week. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. It's been a long time since we've seen each other, as you said, and to meet in this way uh, again after so many years is really, uh, I'm really grateful for that. Definitely, me too. And uh, this is, I mean, we all have been experiencing very, very difficult times in 2020, 2021, but somehow this is one of the most magical things to be able to reconnect with some people from the past uh, through this Zoom conversation. Zoom existed before, but somehow we are kind of getting more used to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. It's definitely given us an opportunity to, to uh, find where the, what is the necessity uh, in human interactions. I mean, it's really about connecting. Uh, you brought up a very good word because connection is something that is very important to me, both in a physical way, but primarily in a physical way. But, um, you know, connections, as you may know, can be made uh, in long distances and you can still, it can still be felt. So that's how I, I read it when I'm teaching online, at least. Uh, big time. Um, we will get back to that in a second, how you feel it online. But uh, I remember a, a few years ago, three, four years ago, I was in Italy. I was spending my birthday there because I was teaching a workshop. And some people asked me, but you must feel very lonely to be by your bir in your birthday by yourself. Like, actually, I feel more accompanied than ever before because I had a wonderful class with those students in Italy. I had a really wonderful lunch by myself. And then I went to my hotel and had lots of WhatsApp and Facebook and Zoom. And, and I felt really, really accompanied by people around the world. So how are you experiencing that connection in this 2021, 2020 and 2021? How are you experiencing that connection online? Yeah, it's, uh, it was definitely uh, a big challenge in 2020, of course, because of the, the world just sort of turned upside down and we were forced to reorient ourselves to a way of being with ourselves, really connect first with ourselves and uh, without so many distractions. And we began, I at least began to realize how important it is to have uh, meaningful encounters with people, um, whether it be through conversations or uh, actual meetings. And because of the fact that we weren't able to meet each other in, in person, it became necessary to find ways to do that online. And um, in spite of the fact that it's not, we can't feel the other person, smell them, touch them, hug them. Um, it, it brought up a lot of things that I think um, myself and probably many people were um, unaware of or kind of taking for granted. And namely, um, just the gift that we have of being able to do this work, the gift of being able to... Uh, yeah, make these kinds of connections with each other to keep it alive. Because by virtue of the fact that 
it's missing, it creates the necessity, it creates the, the awareness that this is really important. We really need to reinforce this connection. And so through, uh, through online uh, interactions and conversations with different people, um, it just, it reinforced for me, at least personally, the, the need to really stay connected to myself and what's important to me and to clear to be able to clearly communicate that and articulate it in a way that was that was reaching the other somehow i can see that and um i i can feel very very identified by that but i would like to know when you talk about meaningful connections when you talk about what is important for you and how you create that uh, online something that i'm interested in this kind of conversations is the know-how so can you tell me a little bit more about what does it mean that to be meaningful? What, what it means that you were able to do that uh, through these online interactions? Uh, can you tell me concrete examples? Yeah, of course. It's, uh, I mean, there's, there are several actually, and it's basically just through one-on-one -on -one conversations first with different people around the world, uh, confined in their own living spaces or, or wherever. And right off the bat, we just start getting... Uh, honest, really try to be very sincere with each other about we're all in the same situation. So how are you feeling? How am I feeling? How are you dealing with it? I'm dealing with it like this. Oh, we have a connection here because we're sort of facing the same challenge. And how do we, we, we each of us have our own tools in order to deal with this limitation. So it's a way of supporting the other so by simply opening the door uh, to myself and to the other to come in, it creates already a complicity between the two people that, that uh, several times that I've had uh, conversations with where it gets very simple, very real, very fast. And, um, and that's kind of what I mean when I say meaningful, that they are, they are encounters which uh establish or or create the space for being sincere honest and um essential trying to connect with what is essential uh and also i think it's it's as a result of the fact that we are simply forced to be in this situation and uh, we have in some ways it almost feels like we have no other choice. It's either to sink or swim. And I didn't do a lot of teaching online last year, uh, with the exception of one course that I gave uh, online for it was for the Pink House Festival in Abbeville, France, and it was a, a fundraising event. So it was by donation. It was my first time. And I have to admit, it was very challenging. It wasn't exactly my cup of tea at first because I'm so used to working with people in uh, live uh, and in groups where they're touching, they're, they're working with each other. So it was a big challenge. And up until very recent, recently, I, I didn't teach online until this week, actually. Uh, I gave some online classes. Uh, I'm still giving online classes for a group in Freiburg. Uh, every morning from 10 until 11.30. Tomorrow is the last day of that, and uh, it's gone very well. I finally decided to you know, come around, get, kind of get back on the horse, so to speak, and teach in a different way what I love and what I want to share. I like that idea, what you said is sink or swim. And with the online teaching, uh, it's very... Uh, tangible right is uh, probably in the very first time that you try to do it because i experienced myself i tried to do the same thing that i did in the studio and of course it didn't work but by the second time it's like i'm gonna try something new because it's a new medium so let's swim these these circumstances uh i'm gonna jump right in because i was going to ask you about that vulnerability that how you fell with it but let's go back to that later on let me ask you what, that has ch what has changed this week for you in that online teaching? What has been the adjustment? What has been the, the thing that you realize, okay, now this is working in this medium now? 
what's been really essential and what's worked for me in these, these two classes so far that I've been given to teach is really simplifying the, the language that I use in order to guide the group um, through a process because I, I, I work like that. I demonstrate sometimes, but I guide quite a lot. And um, I observe uh, very closely. So even though I'm watching, you know, 15 to 20 people on the screen, for example, um, I can still find, a, find, it's like there's some sort of intuition my, or inner voice that is saying, okay, that's working or that's not working. So there's, um, it's the same for me if I was in person. So I see, okay, this is still working. I can still guide, I can still manage uh, the energy of the group, let's say. And uh, um, the only difference uh, is that there isn't really any kind of fluid exchange of, of communication. One person has to turn on their mic, then they turn it off. And so there's only usually only one person that can speak, which is actually interesting because it cultivates also a lot of listening. It's, it's really interesting that, that uh, that's something that's really worked for me because that's a, at the core of my work as well, is cultivating a, a way of deeply listening to oneself, to the other. Um, and I suppose one more thing that I could say about that that really works for me is uh, the space in which we are given, this, this particular time frame that happens where um, it's like we're looking through a window and we're seeing uh, into the lives of each person into their space, into their uh, living space. So there's something very intimate and very personal about that, that I really enjoy because it's almost as if th that drops the barriers, that drops the, the guard. Uh, and we can see, I can see people really open very quickly when they're in their own private space. It also can be in the studio, uh, but uh, I think it's, it's really a gift to somehow invite each other into each other's homes. And so that creates a really safe space, I would say. It, nothing beats, I will have to admit, nothing beats, of, you know, really the sitting across the table or on the couch in front of somebody. But, but um, we are very adaptable when we have to be. So um, rather than submit uh, under the weight of the conditions that we've been forced to, to deal with. It's really, um, like I said, again, you either have a choice, you have one choice out of two, mm. sink or swim. And um, I'm happy that we found this medium somehow to be able to connect in some way. It's new for me, but it's, it's almost this, the, intention and the the purpose and the the goal is the same yep yes and uh, thank you for reminding me that idea of adaptability because while you were talking about how you make that translation from your classes into the online i was just in awe and and just really respecting and admiring every single artist around the world who like us has been trying to adapt and we manage in a very short period of time, which is kind of like amazing. So talking of which, um, I have the description of your class right in front of me. And I really like what you said about guided towards unlocking the natural dynamic and creative state of the body, allowing the individual to become totally and completely available to the work with oneself and the other. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean about unlocking the natural dynamic and creative state of the body? and how through the online medium you've managed for those people to be fully available to the work for themselves and to the others. Of course, yeah. Uh, well, first I like, I, I create a space where people can uh, essentially make a direct contact with their body to feel their, feel like they are in their body. 
and simply through recognizing the natural rhythm of the breath at first, looking at all the natural processes that are doing their own job um, by themselves. So there's nothing that they have to do. It's, it's just doing its work. And just by observing that, things start to fall into place slowly. It's almost as if we recognize the wisdom of the body and how it works. So I try to guide them a little bit towards jumping out of their mind and back into their body. And there's something, um, there's always going to be some kind of resistance. There's always going to be some chatter, some, some blockages that might occur, whether they're, hab they're habitual or unconscious. Um, and usually when that happens, then I start to set, push them or guide them closer to that wall because that's the source for their work, actually, to go more and more towards the unknown <clears throat> and the uncomfortable, let's say, aspect. Um, so a lot of that has to do with either it's the body who has to be is our instrument. So the body has to be available. It has to be ready. It has to be uh, fully engaged so that we can then work with it. Just like we, we train to, to learn the piano. You know, you have to start from do, re, mi, fa and then little by little with one hand and then the other hand gets in there. And then pretty soon you start to make uh, chords and then pretty soon you start to make a melody and so on. So it's, it's a way of saying that over time, we start to, I start to see who has what kind of limitations or self-imposed limitations or um, imita uh, limitations that they uh, feel imposed upon by outside. And uh, then I work directly with each person. So in terms of like a, uh, a class where I have one person who has a difficulty um, with with their voice, for example, how they connect their voice with their movement. Instead of going out away from that, instead of uh, being afraid to confront it, I give them the opportunity to go closer to it so that it dis demystifies the fear. It demystifies the, the need or the knee-jerk reaction to, to run away and to hide. And as soon as I see somebody hiding, I'm like, <laughs> let's do it. Let's go further. Keep going. Don't stop the momentum. Try to, try to be in that space. Even if it's uncomfortable, try to work. Even if you're tired physically, keep going. Try to, to move beyond your own self-imposed limitations or ideas that are blocking you to, towards accessing what is unknown. Because I believe that creativity is only possible or only like by definition, it's only flourishing when we enter into the unknown, when we, when we go into the, out of our comfort zone. So it's basically in a nutshell, I put people out of their comfort zone <laughs> to access their own individual creative language. Um, and that's, that's um, a way of, of sort of facilitating um, both the individual and the group process towards uh, finding their own creative dynamic power. And individual, like in the beginning, I usually create a synthesis. I create a kind of, I help to create a group dynamic, a group energy, something that brings them together so that they feel they're in a safe space. They feel that they're, they're getting more and more focused, more tuned, let's say, to each other, uh, and then slowly narrowing the focus more and more and more until we are seeing in a microscope uh, lens, okay, where's the real problem? Where's the real issue that we need to focus on? And I usually feel it. I don't have a plan uh, every day. It's uh, half I know what I want to do, half I, I see what the group needs, what each individual needs, and that sort of guides me each day. So um, I give them impossible tasks also. Tasks which are kind of very basic, very simple, 
but at the same time, uh, very challenging as well, because they'll never, there's never this moment of you succeed. So in a way, it's a roundabout way of accepting that you will fail. Uh, and by failing or making a mistake, um, that's where the trigger for the solution appears, if we let it. And every person has their own way of finding that. And that's what I ask people to do is, I don't have the answer. You have the answer. Find that. Own that. Uh, give yourself permission to fail so that you can find your way in your own process, creative process. And so by doing that, it starts to widen the scope and the, the horizon of their own dynamic creative life and process. And how beautiful it is to be in the studio sometimes, isn't it? And to see how you propose a task and every single person who is in that studio come out with a very unique individual solution. And that is what it makes us uh, as such a unique and incredible artist. And contemporary dance gives you the, the possibility for that because there is no one answer. There are 10,000 millions of them that are right. I have a question, uh, and I'm very interested in this as a teacher. Uh, I, can, I can see very much how you talk about uh, how you realize blockages and resistance with the people that you're working with, how you look at the self-imposed limitations when someone is hiding and how you allow them to or help them to guide them to go towards that in order to demystify the problem in order for them to, to work on it. But I'm interested of, in you as a teacher, how do you realize that someone is hiding, that someone has a self-imposed limitations? Because I know that sometimes as teachers, we realize and we can see blind spots that the participants, the students cannot. How Rob Hayden sees those things? It's, uh, there are many, I mean, there's no one way, I suppose, but um, I, I consider myself as like a professional spectator to performances that are happening right before my eyes, whether it's through an exercise, through a, 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 um, an improvisational exercise, whatever it is. And so that forces me to objectively, as much as possible, see what's actually happening in that person and I read their body language I, I see how they uh, um, repeat certain movements how they um, maybe they get into a, a trip and then they sort of get lost in that trip through their movement and it becomes um, like a bubble they put themselves in a bubble and so I also see okay that's too comfortable try something new, change, you know, I always say change uh, as much as possible so that they get this habit of not falling into a, a pattern or a loop. Um, but it, like I said, it's uh, very interesting and very quick. I can see just by how people introduce themselves in the very beginning and what they choose to share about themselves and the sound of their voice is it clear? Is it articulate? Is it um, sincere? Um, I see, I can see very clearly, okay, who is, who is holding back and who is over uh, putting themselves out there too much or taking too much space. So it's a way of, uh, the first day is usually for me a way of reading the room uh, and seeing, okay, where are we? What's the temperature of the room with each person? Um, and there are other signals, of course, body language, just daily body language, habitual body language, how we interact with each other. If someone's, you know, got their hands in their pockets or their arms crossed over their chest or behind their back, uh, or, you know, they choose a certain part of the part of the room that's kind of removed from, from the, the rest of the group or something like that, depending on the situation, um, I'm looking for, uh, can I see you? Really, can I, can I feel you? And if, if we're willing to be naked in the space, meaning like vulnerable, open, receptive, not uh, focused too inwardly, 
but just enough to allow this exchange of the inner, inner and outer movement, uh, then it can work. Otherwise, um, if, we, if, we, if they tend to hide too much, then I try to give them the opportunity, maybe subversively sometimes, to, <laughs> to open themselves more um, through simplicity, through really basic theatrical uh, exercises or situations or um, partner work or um, just a, a nonstop physical uh, movement that is designed really, it's, a, its goal is simply to exhaust the mind so that we, the body is really ready. And once the mind is exhausted uh, from holding and controlling, then I say, okay, now we can work. I really like what you were saying about uh, being vulnerable, receptive, uh, not focused inwardly and connecting what you were saying at the beginning, right? Uh, how this situation in 2020 and 2021 is pushing us to exercise that vulnerability and how both processes have been helping each other, right? The, us being more vulnerable and naked in these kind of like conversations, even if we are not in the same country. But I think that's also possible because we are used to be that vulnerable in the studio and the other way around. And I was thinking, I really like that idea that I never thought before you said it, is when someone is trying to hide, maybe we cannot see what that person is hiding, but definitely we see that something is being hidden and that cannot be possible to hide it, which is really interesting. And to know that you've been seen at all times and if you decide to hide something, we are going to be seeing that you're hiding something and that's fine as well, but, uh, but we will see that. Uh, I can see that you are highly articulated, that you've been thinking about what you want to do and how you do it in a really long time, for a really long time. And I can see also in your bio, you said that uh, uh, his own work combines over 20 years of practicals and theoretical research. Can you tell us a little bit more about that theoretical research that I can see that it's really prominent in your Hmm. I think by nature of the fact that I started as a gymnast uh, when I was eight and did that for 13 years, I began to understand, okay, there's a certain aspect of discipline and rigor that is necessary in any endeavor, in any creative endeavor or in life in general. And so I began to apply that when I started working in theater at the University of New Mexico. I transferred into the dance department and I carried these principles with me from the, the gymnastics to the theater, to the dance. And I saw that it didn't really matter what the language was that I wanted to speak in terms of movement. Um, but it had to have some deep connection for me, some deep meaning or um, drive. It had to wake me up somehow and out of necessity. So I, I understood that if it's not acting on me in a deep way, then I'd better try to find something else to do. But... Uh, in that process, throughout the course of those years at the university, I read a lot. Uh, I um, spoke a lot with people in the theater community, in the dance community. I exchanged a lot of different ideas with people about the, the quality of touch, for example, uh, how we um, coexist in the same space as dancers and stay alone so so it means like alone next to not contaminated or melted into the energy of somebody else but maintain a certain kind of healthy boundary when i discovered uh the work of stanislavski and grotowski also uh, it really just clarified for me oh, i'm in the right place uh, these guys know what they're talking about and they've done you know encyclopedic research uh, regarding the nature of, of, the, the, of the actor, of the performer, 
and what was really essential. So they were really like uh, pillars for me at the beginning in terms of what does it mean to really do this work. And uh, when I began this work with a theater group in New Mexico um, called Q Staff uh, in Albuquerque, um, we began to work on ideas based around the idea of the autonomy of the actor. So this means, uh, this meant for me, okay, the work that I do uh, has to have some deep meaning for me. The director is not going to give me an idea to work on. I have to find my own questions, my own burning questions, my own burning desires to work, just like a scientist goes into the lab and says, okay, I want to do this experiment to see what the result will come out. It's the same. So we were working in a in a somewhat in an artisanal way where the work uh, of our practice or our craft as actors was uh, asking, learning to ask right questions for ourselves and then trying to find ways to bring it into a form that may or may not work, but at least we are starting to find our way through uh, the jungle of this unknown question or questions that we're asking ourselves as artists. It can be uh, related to social, political, uh, relational, personal, uh, economic uh, concerns, questions, geographic, uh, all these things are influencing uh, the questions that, that we were asking ourselves. Um, and that was, yeah, that was extremely uh, formational in the, how I matured as an actor, as a performer, uh, as a dancer as well. And I understood very quickly afterwards that this is so fundamental to the creative impulse that it needs to be constantly nourished. It needs to be constantly uh, asked and re-asked and re-asked, why am I doing this? Why am I here? What is this, uh, this question about? What it, where is it gonna take me? Maybe it takes me to another new question. Um, and then I, I understood kind of on a side note studying massage therapy and becoming a massage uh, therapist, um, there were many parallels with respect to this alone next to, for example, plus the quality of the touch. Um, but if, for example, I'm giving a treatment, I have to be in a good position, a comfortable position, so that I transmit this comfort, comfort and calm to that other person so that they can do the work in their own body to heal. I'm not the healer or the cure. I'm not, I'm just the facilitator. And if I facilitate well, then their body will then receive it well. And so this way of, of working translated into uh, Aikido, which I studied back then, and then into contact improvisation, to capoeira. Um, um, I studied a little bit of Hatha yoga during that period as well. Uh, and all of these things started to kind of make sense. They started to come together and I started to realize there are a certain thread, there's a certain thread throughout each of these things that was informing my, let's say, worldview or my, my um, direction that I wanted to take in art. And it, yeah, there's something that um, Peter Brook once said um, in a workshop, he asked the, the participants why, the first question that he asks them is, why do you want to do art? And um, I think this is a very valid question. It's a very confronting question also. And these kind of questions um, need to be brought up more and more. And so I continue to ask myself that. And throughout all of this period of just digging and thinking and researching and asking these questions, the answers became more and more and more clear, more and more focused so that I could finally see, oh yeah, okay, this is the direction that I need to take out of necessity. Um, 
Picasso, he once said, like, if they took away my paintbrushes, I'd use pastel. If I, if I paints, if I, uh, yeah, if they took away my paint, I would use pastels. If they took away my pastels, I'd use crayon. If they took away my crayon, I'd use charcoal. If they took away the charcoal, I'd lick my finger and draw on the wall. So this is a way of saying, like, you need something there that's really, it's not a job. It's more like a necessity or if I can dare say a calling uh, that my director from QStaff long time ago, Richard Van Scowen, he said, okay, why do you want to do this work with us? And I said immediately without thinking, because I have to. It's like a vitamin. I have to take it every day. You know, I, I, I had seen their performance in their house there in Albuquerque and it was just mind-blowing and I, I, I felt an immediate connection with their work and uh, yeah, it opened something in me. So I, I had to do it. It was no choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, it reminds me something that I was talking to Ian today, Ian Garside, he just finished the classes with us this week and we were talking a little bit about that shift that we are seeing right now in the contemporary dance world, in the dance world in general, that it's a tiny bit more self-pleasing than the discipline. And I'm not talking about a discipline in a Grotowskian way that we need to punish ourselves and suffer for our art because I learned a lot from Grotowski and Peter Brook and all the names that you said. I think it's something they're bringing something incredibly, which is kind of like the the discipline and the self um annihilation almost the self-disappearance for the work to to appear uh, through you as the actor right and um and that thing that you were saying is not the job it's just a necessity and almost a calling so i wanted to ask uh, in a very personal way in a very curious way are you encountering a little bit the same that now because of the difficulties that we are op- or whatever the reasons are, but maybe because of the difficulties of the the industry, the the lockdown, also the appearance of uh, certain social media that we go for something really quick, TikTok, 20, 30 seconds, reels in Instagram. Are you f- realizing that the dance sector is going more into, I am going to do this work because it pleased me, because it feels good, rather than because this is my discipline, this is what I need to do, and this is what the world needs from me, the world of art. Or it's only me who is noticing this. Uh, It's something along those lines that resonates with you. I think it's a very good question, and I don't think there's an easy answer to that situation because we are in a very strange time, and we we seem to be in a sort of low-level trauma I would say, in general, and in the sense that we are imposed upon by a situation that we have no control over. It's affecting our lives in in many different ways, some of them very drastic, some of them not so drastic, but it's still a shared uh, and collective um, issue. So what comes out of that, I think, are the different responses to how we deal with this situation. And there's, for me, no judgment about um, the ways in which we choose to, to deal with the situation. There is a problematic, I think, in the sense that when we, when we go into a reactive sphere or reactive um, way uh, of dealing with the situation, it becomes uh, like fighting fire with fire. And... I think what's what I see happening is twofold. It's like there's the, the industry, which is sort of pushing people to need to put themselves out there because there are less and less opportunities maybe, or there's, it's more and more difficult to, to find work, uh, to survive as an artist. Um, and so that's, that, makes, that makes it a necessity to tap into that creative energy and find a way to express it. And so there's, there's like two sides to that coin. There's the coin, the side which says, uh, I need to find a way to get out of this situation, to stimulate something that is creative for me to, to pass through the situation. Um, and the other is feeding into the market, 
idea of this is what we're looking for, this is what we want, um, and you have to do this and this and this and this in order to find your place. Um, and I'm re I really sort of, I, I feel a lot of compassion and sympathize for young artists who want to find work, who want to do their own work um, in the situation where it's uh, practically impossible. Um, there's an oversaturation, especially over here in Brussels, it's really an oversaturated community that, uh, again, it's like forced to put themselves out there. And so in a way, that's a good thing because it's finally daring, someone's daring to say, okay, here I am, unabashedly, you know, uh, but at the same time, for what are we doing it? For who? You brought, you, you brought that, you, you said something about... Um, who are we serving in this, this practice, in this work? Is it self-serving or is it self-gratifying or is there something more that we can, can be available for or open to uh, in order to serve so that we, we enter into, at least what I believe is that we, try to, we have to try to enter into a relationship with the work where we are serving the work rather than ourself or somebody else. I try to kind of share this idea with my the students that I work with, the people that I work with, but I understand how difficult that can be to apprehend, to, to digest, because there's this sense of urgency right now of, uh, I need to create, I need a, I need a job, I need to, to do what I'm here to do. So it's a double-edged sword. And I don't think anybody is really any better off than the other. Yeah, I would just say, you know, be patient and try to, try to learn how to surf the wave that we're on right now and, and stay focused on what is important for you um, to weather the storm as best as you can let's weather the storm in the best way we can. So I would like to finish, to wrap this up in a perfect circle, like one of these old theater pieces or dance pieces that uh, end in the same way that they begin right now. And uh, you were talking at the very beginning uh, about this, this connection, you know, that we allow very fast and very quick, be vulnerable, be honest with each other because we didn't have uh, any other way to, to cope with this situation. And now we were talking about how we can with patience, with vulnerability, weather the storm. How Rob Hayden is weathering the storm? What are the tools that you're using these days besides having those connections with the loved ones or the people that you know, having inter uh, interesting conversation, hopefully? Are you also making use of all the tools that you have, like massage or yoga or meditation? Or how are you weathering the storm? How you're cultivating your patient? Um, I would say that one of the things that really saved me last year um, was uh, my father passed away in September. And um, there were lots, I experienced a lot of endings last year. And instead of being swallowed up by the, the weight of that, um, I started to learn how to see the, that as very slowly, and I'm still working on it, but I started to see those things as gifts, as opportunities for transformation, to recognize the, the natural order of things and to try to not resist it. And this um, led me to finally enrolling in a course with Catherine Shainberg, um, who's based in New York. She's the director of a, of a school called the School of Images. And it, it focuses around the art uh, or the science of the heart and the art of transformation through dream uh, opening and imagery work. And this is a course which I, um, or there are several courses offered through the school. And this is one uh, the th major things that really um, helped me weather the storm that I was in last year, because uh, 
it allowed me to really do a deep dive into my own subconscious and try to work through all of the imagery that was coming up through the practice uh, of the of the workshop that we were doing. It's a weekly uh, weekly class every Monday and Wednesday, and um, it's kind of both therapeutic on one side, but also um, educational on the other side because it gives us uh, tools. The work gives us tools in order to uh, navigate through our own personal uh, life stories and images that we project into the world. So I began to see um, more and more clearly, why, why do I look at the world this way? Or why do I look at myself that way? And um, through the imagery practice, we, I began to understand where my blocks were, where my perspective was fractured or, or fragmented or incomplete. So I suppose uh, that was a, a really fundamental shift for me in terms of learning to see with different eyes uh, and also to make that a practice because it's not something that happens overnight. It's really a practice day by day by day until the old habits um, that fed into the perspective that I was having prior to that slowly fade away, new habits start to appear. Uh, and uh, over time, as those new habits start to appear, um, it becomes easier to weather the storm. Um, and because the storm grief, for example, is a storm that comes in waves, you know, and, and, you know, the grief of the several things that, that I went through last year, uh, up until recently as well, it's really a, a very, very wise teacher and um, gave me really a, a, a lot of, yeah, just forced me to deal with the situation. I just couldn't avoid it, period. And um, thanks to the work with Catherine and also uh, I'm kind of jumping back into music and composing again um, as well. And then I'm just uh, a, uh, a fanatic about chess also. So I play a lot of chess. It was actually something that resurfaced because uh, uh, after my dad passed away, and then I saw some months later the series of um, Queen's Gambit, and then I realized, oh, wow, my dad and I used to play this game all the time when I was a kid, and I realized how much I loved the game. And so I started to jump back into it and really study the theory and learn the, the different openings and all this kind of thing. So I was becoming so... Um, I mean, I was just playing before we, we were calling so I was just playing online so um, that gave me joy and so it was like looking for the things that give me joy even if it's very simple things like just going to the park or uh, being grateful for the fact that it's a, it's a sunny day or you know feeling the warmth and, and, and connection that I that I feel when we're talking uh, and you're asking me your, these really beautiful questions it's, uh, it's really step-by-step, step, moment to moment, practicing, uh, just being willing to receive whatever gifts are there and to see them as gifts. Um, so it hasn't been easy, but it's something that I, I like to do as a practice or mm. need to do as a practice every day. Yeah. I meditate and uh, I, I do my own physical training here at home, um, which is also something very recent because during the confinement, I was like uh, completely depressed, inert. Uh, so yeah, there's some light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel.
and it's uh, it's very beautiful for those who are going to be only listening to this podcast. I have Rob in front of me on a Zoom call and has a beautiful ray of light coming through to his left side, which is fantastic for this conversation. And I want to thank you, Rob, for this vulnerability, for this transparency, for opening us uh, not only your living room, but your heart of telling us uh, your situation, how everything is going. I'm really sorry to hear about your loss and, and the difficult storm. But I'm very grateful for the things that you said and and seeing those storms as gift, as you said, willing to receive those gifts, cultivating patience, being grateful for the little things like the sun in the park or the little chess game and learning to see with different eyes. And what I want to take out of all that is what you said about and making that a practice. So quoting our friend Grotowski, being the doers of those people who does those practices. Thank you so much, uh, Rob, for all those insights, for all those examples. Uh, now, more than ever, I'm really looking forward for your classes next week because I am sure they will touch into some of those things that we have talked directly, but I'm sure because it is unavoidable, it will be having all this background and all the thoughts and experience informing those classes. So... Thank you so much, Rob, and thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much, Jorge. It was really a pleasure to talk to you, and you had, you had some really insightful questions to ask. So it, gave, it was like easy for me to just open. You made, a, you made it easy for me to, to share, and I really appreciate the invitation to teach with you guys. It is my pleasure. There is nothing that beats a good conversation. Maybe a good conversation with a good play, uh, play of chess. <laughs> Yeah, especially. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Fantastic, Rock. Thank you so much. My Bye -bye. pleasure, Jorge. Bye. <laughs>